The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. With life, family, health, and finance pulling us in every direction, we lose connection to the real self and the intuitive voice that guides us forward. We leave our dreams behind and wonder why we're not living a better life. Welcome to the show that will put you back on the path that you need to be on. Welcome to Living the Best You with Janice Darrow. Through the guidance from Janice and her guests, our intention is that you'll be inspired and have greater clarity to live a more harmonious life. Now, here is Janice Darrow. Hi, my name is Janice Darrow, and you're listening to Living the Best You. And I want to thank our sponsor, uh, The Inner Way. And if you haven't had a chance to see the DVD, to download it, um, it's really a great DVD. It's about uh, changing your health and your weight through intention, and it's quite powerful with amazing teachers on it. Uh, So every show, we've been starting out with a reflective exercise And uh, so I'll have you start with your eyes closed. And take a deep breath in. Just feel that breath go deep. And as you release that breath, exhale it slowly out. Just feel the stress leaving with the breath. And with another deep breath in, feel yourself relax in your body. And with an exhale slowly out, you're feeling more relaxed, more peaceful. And with a third breath in, just feel the love of all the love that has come to you in your life. Just feel your every cell in your body is just bubbling with love. And with a slow exhale out, just feel that you are truly loved and how precious you are. And with eyes open, welcome again to the show. So I want to, um, I am very excited about our, well, our guest today, uh, but before I, I introduce her to the show, I really want to talk about how I came to uh, the Greater Good Science Center, and uh, I went back to school last year to get my master's degree in social psychology, and every time I was working on a subject, I'd uh, Google, of course, that subject, and the Greater Good Science Center came up for every one of them, <laughs> for happiness, mindfulness, and although I'm not new to mindfulness, I've been involved with mindfulness a long time, I was very new to neuroscience, neuropsychology around mindfulness and uh, the impact that mindfulness has on so many different levels, especially regarding pro-social behavior. Um, so today we're going to talk about awakening your brain through a meaningful life. And uh, we are very fortunate to have a brilliant <laughs> and compassionate 
uh, guest today, Dr. Emiliana uh, Simon-Thomas, and she's a uh, science director over at the Greater Good Science Center. My and, uh, pardon me? Oh, it's, it's my pleasure to be here. Yeah, we're so happy you're here. And um, so you've earned your, your doctorate in cognitive brain and behavior at UC Berkeley, uh, and and uh, with a dissertation, used behavioral and neuroscience methods to examine how negative states like fear and aversion influence thinking and decision making. But then you started getting, it looks like in your postdoc, you started studying more of the pro-social states like love of humanity, compassion, and awe. So welcome to the show. I appreciate you're here. Thank you so much. Yeah, I, f- I find it very interesting on how you started really working out with um uh, just how fear and aversion influence thinking and decision making, and you switched over to more of the pro-social um, and and the effects that all of that has on the brain. And I've been watching quite a few YouTube's <laughs> your your, your um, on you and what what you're talking about. But if you can start out and tell us about the Greater Good Science Center and the work that you guys are are doing, that would be fantastic. Sure, I'd be happy to. So the Greater Good Science Center is a, an organization at the University of California at Berkeley, and what we do is track and follow cutting-edge research in multiple disciplines, uh, social psychology, as you mentioned, neuroscience, public health, um, other domains of psychology, developmental psychology, et cetera, um, and and, and we, we try to make this research available to the broad public audience in a timely fashion. And um, we also uh, host and hold and conduct events, uh, day-long seminars, and a series called The Science of a Meaningful Life. Um, we also have a summer institute for educators, which is focused on uh, providing tools for more meaningful satisfying and pro-social sort of classrooms to uh, people involved in, in, in education space. So uh, we also have a number of, of science, scientific initiatives, including uh, funding uh, dissertation and undergraduate students at UC Berkeley, as well as around the nation uh, in, in a couple of different um, efforts. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, well, and so June 7th, you have a gratitude summit, and that's available for everyone or anyone who wants to to get involved, is That's that correct? Right, yeah, mm-hmm. if you, our gratitude summit is the culmination of a three year project that we've been doing called expanding the science and practice of gratitude, and uh, what what it involved was um, funding again researchers nationwide uh, across many different projects from how gratitude plays into resilience to heart disease versus how gratitude develops in children versus uh, the brain mechanisms that are involved in gratitude. And there's, there's 29 different projects. They're all coming to Berkeley, California to tell us about what they accomplished. And also we have some sort of uh, public uh, figures and, and luminaries in the space of, of gratitude who are presenting as part of that day. So it should be a lot of fun. People can come in person, but it's also live webcast if, if someone is, wants to join us remotely. Oh, great. Yeah, and also, I know you have a Science of Happiness course. It's a nine-week course, I believe, starting September 9th, and that's that's a free online course. Is that what I understand? That's Can right. you speak so, a little bit more about that? Yeah, so the Greater Good Science Center is working with a platform called edX, that's E-D, 
the letter X, uh, which is in uh, a, a platform for supporting what's called a MOOC, M-O-O-C, which is Massive Open Online Course. Um, and, and what the greater good is, is offering is a course called The Science of Happiness. And essentially, it's co-taught by myself and my, my collaborator, Dacker Keltner, who is the founding faculty director of the Greater Good Science Center. And, um, yeah, it will be a nine-week, uh, maximum is nine weeks. One could finish it in seven weeks, um, but we want to have a little flexibility. Online course, it's free, and um, we're very excited about it. We've got upwards of 42,000 people registered for the course already. Oh, wow, and, um, great. Uh, yeah, I'm one of them. <laughs> yeah, we're very excited, and, and we hope that this is a, a great vehicle for us to uh, begin to, to begin the the or, or continue the beginning of the process of of really affecting social change. Mm-hmm. So, could you speak a little bit about the science of happiness and what your findings, the science findings, are about happiness regarding the brain, regarding happiness, um, and just a little bit, not the whole neat nine weeks of what we're going to be learning, but yeah. just a just a brief. Outline here. Yeah, so so traditionally, the science of happiness would fall into a discipline which people call positive psychology, and positive psychology is really focused on uh, sort of uh, individual self-reflection and considering one's goals in life and sense of achievement and you know a, a, a sense of connection in in a in a social milieu. Um, but there's been a little bit of a um, how should I put it, a, a, a lacking of emphasis on a, on a large part of happiness science that is emerging more recently than the positive psychology movement, and that is the extent to which our happiness hinges upon our enmeshment in a, in a meaningful social community and our contribution to that social community. So it's not just that we feel like we've got friends that support us and that help us in times of need, but it's also that we have ample opportunities to be generous, to contribute, to, uh, uh, to, to concern ourselves with the well-being of others. And really, that's what our happiness course is going gonna, is gonna to emphasize. Uh, we're not mm-hmm. going to spend a lot of time helping people figure out what their purpose is in life professionally, but rather, how can you pursue whatever profession it is that you, that, that you're, you find yourself in with the greatest amount of connection, kindness, um, and, um, and, and generosity? So, so mm-hmm. how, how can you, yeah. how can you, how can you uh, capture things like gratitude and compassion and empathy and forgiveness and, and integrate them into your day-to-day experience to the benefit of, of your health and well-being, as well as the uh, happiness of the people around you? Mm-hmm. Well, I really like that because it really talks about mindfulness as a way of life, a way of being and thinking instead of just sitting down meditating and focusing a few minutes. It's, it's really being in the moment uh, and living connected to others, which a lot of what I've been uh, reading and watching on what you've been talking about is a lot about the building of compassion and the compassion in the brain and the three systems in the brain and how it's about integrating those two, mm-hmm. or I mean those systems to bring about more fi- social affiliation. Uh-huh. Um, Yes, I'd love well, to hear more. Yeah, well, well so, so you're absolutely right to sort of focus on mindfulness in, in, in this whole discussion. Mindfulness does often appear on the surface to be something that's very self-focused in the sense that it refers to this kind of awareness of, of the present moment that's non-judgmental and um, 
sort of present, for lack of a better word. Um, but but what happens when people do um, live their lives in a way that allows a greater degree of mindfulness is that this has the sort of uh, added effect of of releasing their tendency to be vigilant towards threat. So, so it's very easy to get in the habit of, of vigilance to, to, to threat, to, to, to worry, to be anxious and stressed about what might have gone wrong in the last, you know, 15 minutes or might, might be going wrong right now immediately in, in, your, in your momentary experience or what might go wrong, you know, in the, in the, in the later half of the day that you're looking forward to. Um, and, and, and those kinds of thoughts, that kind of persistent um, focus on on possible harm or damage actually uh, inherently stifles our care and nurturance uh, physiology. These systems are, are reciprocal in their use or their their access to neural processing or biological processing resources, things like glucose and oxygen that we need. So mindfulness has this wonderful benefit of and uh, giving us the ability not to engage in this ruminative, ruminative, anxious type of thinking. And once we we can do that, we can sort of release that way of of relating to the world. Inherently, um, we're, we're, you know, our brains don't just turn off and stop doing stuff, right? They don't just not do anything. But once that sort of gets moved out of the way, you sort of open the curtain for this for this very intrinsic care and nurturance circuitry that speaks in the language of oxytocin that, 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 that signals reward at the presence of, of other people who we perceive as, as opportunities for collaboration or, or mutual benefit and gain. So, so again, mindfulness has this wonderful importance to, to, to this science and, and on the face may seem to be very self-focused, but, but in terms of practice, it ends up being something that really does enable us to connect more readily and attune to the people around us. Mm -hmm. Well, it makes more sense. The less afraid we are, uh, the more relaxed we are in our body, the more we want to give. And if that increases the oxytocin, then that would give us pleasure in giving, which would then then increase more desire to give. So um, I'm excited about that idea because uh, the more that we are giving and the more that we're relaxed and more affiliated with others, the less, the less aggression, the less uh, depression would be, and more connection. And that's a very exciting thought, you know. Really, for anybody who wants, you know, when we think about peace on Earth, you know, that 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 physiologically, or you know, our our brains can actually go there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, yeah. yeah. So I uh, really. Um, you, with oxytocin, you're talking about that, and is that that's connected to the vag the vagus nervous system, and how does that work? Okay, so oxytocin is is a neuropeptide, so it's a little chemical that gets manufactured in our hypothalamic pituitary axis, which is just a little area right in the middle of our brain that that, that produces lots of different hormones and peptides. And um, oxytocin is, is uniquely involved in facilitating a sense of trust and safety between people. The vagus nerve is a cranial nerve, which means it's this little sort of fibrous highway that goes from the midbrain, not too far from where oxytocin is produced, but not necessarily 
are, are they part of the same system? They're, they're interacting, but they're, they're different systems. So the vagus nerve projects all over the body. It exerts the primary parasympathetic influence on heart rate as well as many other, many, it supports many other functions, including sort of facial musculature and the adjustment of your larynx to support um, vocal fluctuations that, that, that convey emotion when people are speaking with one another. Um, so the, the vagus nerve, uh, the, the, the part of the vagus nerve that normally gets implicated in the science of, of health and well-being and pro-social uh, behaviors is that which is, is, is associated with its effect on the heart. And, and, and what it does is it slows down your heartbeat. Okay, so, so your, vagus, your, your heartbeat would, would, be, would, would be very, very, very fast all the time to your mortal demise if you didn't have a vagus nerve that was slowing it down all the time. And, mm-hmm. and the time that it slows it down is during your exhale, when, when you're breathing out. And it turns out that when we measure that, the strength of that ability for your vagus nerve to slow down your heart rate, the people who have more strength there, and what we call that is vagal tone, people who have more strength there tend to be more content. They tend to experience positive emotions more grossly throughout their day-to-day life. They tend to be better at identifying other people's emotions. So, so the vagus nerve seems to have this, um, th- this role in, in, in helping us, in, in, for lack of a better word, kind of act mindfully. Um, the other thing, the, the other sort of main principle that's associated with the vagus nerve is, a, is, is comes from a theory from a scientist named Steve Porges who developed something he called the polyvagal theory. And, and essentially, in, in short words, what he says is that the vagus nerve is, a, is the biological mechanism that drives affiliation between people because of all the places that it acts on the body. Together, that is what sort of drives us and motivates us to seek the company and relate and, and sort of interdependent relationship with others. Wow. Well, we're uh, that's exciting. Well, we're going to take a break and um, we are talking about uh, awakening your brain through a meaningful life. If you have any questions, uh, please feel free to call 888-346-9141. And again, I am talking to uh, Emiliana Simon-Thomas and um, a, a brilliant and compassionate, wonderful scientist. Thank you. We'll see you after the break. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You deserve to live the life you are meant to live. Your struggles can become the pathway to gratitude and the joy of living. The true voice of your inner you is longing to be heard by you again. Gain greater tools and awareness. The adventure is just beginning. Janice Darrow invites you to visit www.JaniceDarrow.com to learn more about the exciting work she's doing as an intuitive empowerment guide, vision board facilitator, workshop leader, and inspirational speaker. Your path begins with a single step. That's JaniceDarrow.com, J-A-N-E-S-E-D-E-R-R-O-U-G-H.com. Do you think about losing weight and living a healthier life? Are you ready to make a change but don't know where to start? Then you need to know about The Inner Way 
a life-transforming, inspirational DVD that will teach you how to change your thinking and change your life. Using the Law of Attraction, The Inner Way will explain why we become what we think about most and show you how to start attracting the things you truly want in life. The Inner Way is an exercise plan for your mind. Experts like Bob Proctor and Gay Hendricks will guide you through an abundant variety of tools to help you remap your thinking and start focusing on living the life you were meant to live. If weight loss and health always seem to be on your to-do list, you can get started today by visiting TheInnerWay.com. That's www.TheInnerWeigh.com. Watch the trailer, read the reviews, and discover why people are calling The Inner Way a film that everyone should watch. It's time to take that step toward the you that you were meant to be. It's time to experience The Inner Way. Build your better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. You are tuned in to Living the Best You with your host, Janice Darrow. To reach our show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That number again is 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to JaniceLD at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to Living the Best You. Hi, my name is Janice, and uh, we are talking about awakening your brain through a meaningful life, and um, and I have a wonderful guest, Emiliana Simon Thomas, and uh, right before the break, we were talking about the vagus nerve. Um, so, Emiliana, would you like to talk more about that? Sure. So, the vagus nerve, as I was saying earlier, is your 10th cranial nerve, and it sort of... Vegas it means wandering, and it's given that name because it has little sort of strings or branches that go all throughout the body, and, and what they're thought to support is our basic motivation to affiliate. Um, most of the science that studied the vagus nerve has looked at how the strength of vagal impact on the heart relates to um, one's social behavior, one's sense of, of, of contentment or happiness in life. And, and, the, and the, the correlations are always that the, the, the stronger your vagus nerve is, the more content you are, the, the more resilient you are, the better you are at recovering from emotional upsets. Um, so one might ask, okay, great, so am I born with a certain vagus vagal tone or, or, or strength of vagus nerve and that's it or is there something I can do to sort of strengthen my vagus nerve and it, it, the, the answer to that is, is, is strikingly simple. Essentially, every time you exhale, your vagus nerve is engaged and it's engaged to slow down your heartbeat during your exhale, but you're also capable of slowing down your own exhale, right? So imagine that as a, as a, as a, as a practice in strengthening your vagus nerve, the, the, the thing that you could do is, one, pay attention to your breath so that you, you have a sense of, of how it's going. And in that process, breathe in very deeply, just as, as the initial exercise to this show instructed. But when you breathe out, make that out-breath last twice as long as the in-breath. So slow your out-breath down. 
If you're doing that, you're essentially tapping into, you're asking your vagus nerve to work a little bit harder than it normally does. And just like a muscle that you would exercise at a gym, if you ask it to work a little harder over time, it gets stronger and, and can function more, more readily. That's what you're doing for your vagus nerve. So it, it seems sort of like a, like a roundabout path to contentment and resilience, but 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 it works. So mm-hmm. that, that would be my very, very simple solution that, that almost, I would say almost anyone can try. I think, yes, thank you. Um, so which brings us to uh, talking about, uh, we're talking a lot about compassion and the social affiliation and, and, and cultivating that more. And there's been um, a, a lot of things that I've heard o- over the years, people feel like we um, are born with with a sense of self-interest. But what I've been seeing throughout these exercises, throughout these practices, is that indeed we're wired more for love and affiliation and compassion. Um, and, and so could you speak more about that? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're right to characterize the common sort of thinking about this space uh, the way that you have. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that we have a greater uh, biological disposition towards compassion and connection than we do towards um, our, our preserving our own selves. It's just that they're, they're, they're very balanced, and, and we think of them in an imbalanced way. So it's just as important to escape from a threat uh, that is real as it is to to connect with somebody who's in front of you who represents a, a potential uh, a, you know, interdependent community member for you. So, so, so we need both of those things very much. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we know fundamentally that, that being generous, that concerning ourselves with the well-being of others is actually healthier than, than, than spending all of our time trying to accumulate resources for ourselves. Um, when we look at uh, the several scientists have, have studied sort of what happens when people give versus when people earn, and so they'll put someone into a brain scanner and they'll they'll have them do a little task where they they push buttons and it allows them to earn a, a prize, and maybe it's five dollars, maybe it's fifteen dollars, and but they'll very cleverly work into that task also experiences where they're asked to donate their prize. So in one, one trial, they'll earn $10. The next trial, they'll be told, well, you earned $10, but you donated five of that to, to this charity that, that you've told us you, you care about. Um, and the next trial, you've, you've won $10, and all of it has gone to the charity, and, 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 and so on and so on. They're sort of fluctuating between these different kinds of experiences. And when they separate each experience out into its own little little pile and look at what happens in the brain, not surprisingly, when, when people win prizes, you show activation in, in reward circuits of the brain that, that speak in the language of dopamine. So this little just general feeling of pleasure. Um, surprisingly, however, the same thing happens during the donate trials. So you might think in your mind, oh, I'd much prefer to win $10 than to win $10 and have to give, immediately give it away. But that's really just what we think, and that's not what the neuroscience data shows. In fact, giving away the $10 is equally engaging of 
dopaminergic reward activation as winning the $10 yourself. So that's the first piece of data that shows us that giving is as pleasurable as earning. The Mm -hmm. second piece is is looking at people who win by themselves versus people who win together. So if you and I are playing a game and I win and I get $10, there's a certain amount of pleasure activation you'll see in the brain. Now let's have us play the game together where where we both win. It takes both of our actions together to win, and we both win $10. So I still am winning the same amount of money. So rationally, there should be no difference. But when it is both of us winning as a consequence of our collaborative actions, I get a bigger reward activation in my dopamine circuits than I do when I just win by myself. So again, uh-huh. we are really exquisitely wired to, to enjoy, to, to experience pleasure in benefiting others and, and, and benefiting ourselves in the same sort of same, same process or the same experience. Mm-hmm. So does this go around with uh, the mirror, the mirror neurons, or the motor mirror neurons that I was reading about? about? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So mirror neurons are probably involved in in the accentuating of pleasure when you win with somebody else, because we do also have this very essential circuitry, which again you're calling mirror neurons, um, which enables us to represent in our own brain the actions that we see somebody else exhibiting. So uh, the, the, the early discoveries of mirror neurons come from people studying primates in a lab and teaching them how to move their arms in certain ways to win prizes. And what they discovered when they were trying to measure the, the neurons that support arm movement in, in the primates was that, yeah, indeed, they fired when, they were te- when, when the primates were moving their arms, but they were surprised to find that when the, when the primates were not moving their arms, they were just still, yet they were watching the experimenters move their arms in the way that, that they were trying to teach, their motor neurons were firing. So, again, from primates and also humans now, we, we, we understand that we're fundamentally equipped to, to, to very quickly gather uh, important signals from other people that help us learn about the world around us, to learn how to, 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 to perform certain sequences of motor actions, and in, in the realm of emotion, to, to recognize the importance and meaning of what other people are exhibiting on their face or in their, in their, in their gestures or in their body posture um, so that we can communicate and understand one another really <laughs> rapidly. So, and this wouldn't just apply to loving compassion. It would also apply to scary situations as well. Absolutely. Uh, so, the, yeah. the, the empathy, the, the mirror neurons are really the, the, the mechanism that support empathy. And empathy is, is not uh, affectively uh, limited. And by affect, I mean it's not positive or negative. You could have empathic amusement, right? So, so mm-hmm. if you're hysterically laughing... Even if I don't know what you're laughing about, I'm inclined, you know, I have this urge to laugh also. That's my mirror neurons, right, mm-hmm. driving this mm-hmm. empathic response. If you look terrified, I, my body reacts in a way that is probably the seed of my own terror. Um, in the case of, of compassion, hopefully I can, you know, relate to that feeling in a way that, that, that doesn't lead to my wanting to escape because I recognize that the, the threat is not towards me, right? It's, it's a threat to you. And, and this arousal that I feel that is really coming from the empathy is, 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 is for the very purpose of sort of 
you know, giving me superhero power to help, right? I'm, I'm aroused with, with this extra energy so that I can help you in, in that particular context. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we have a caller right now with a question. Uh, Claire from North Carolina yeah, is on hi. the phone. Hi, Claire. Hi. Hi, Claire. Um, well, I'm, I'm listening to everything um, that Emiliana is saying, and my, my question is, like, my nature is to be very giving, and I'm a pretty happy person. But what I found in my journey in life so far is that Sometimes I give too much, mm-hmm. and I know that might sound, but I found that I've got, you know, sometimes people get, almost get um, upset or quite can be quite nasty if you're too kind and too giving. Mm-hmm. Do you have any sort of, like, um, advice you could give me on that? Because I've, I've been through a lot of situations where I've had to let go of people in my life because it was almost like I was doing giving too much, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and... Um, and then the backlash for me was, well, it was a little painful at first. And now I've, got, I've sort of learned not to be more just giving unconditionally and not having any concept of whatever anyone does. But at the same time, through those experiences, it's made me sometimes a little hesitant to be uh-huh. as giving as, like, in, in a way my nature normally would. And I just wondered if you had any... Yeah. So my favorite thinker in that space, and thank you for sharing that experience. Um, mm-hmm. My favorite thinker in that space is someone named Kristen Neff. <clears throat> She's at the University of Texas. And the reason I think of her is she has uh, formulated an idea called self-compassion. And the the basic principle of self-compassion is that we tend to be much crueler to ourselves than we are to people around us. Mm. And and that cruelty sometimes manifests as what you might call giving too much, right? Okay. Um, going, bending over so far backwards that we injure ourselves. Right. Um, and, and it's very important to, to, to be mindful of, 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 of how you relate to your own needs and boundaries and, and, and opportunities for happiness. And, you know, one of the examples that Kristen always gives is, you know, when we make a mistake ourselves, listen to our inner speech. We're so cruel and we say things to ourselves that we would never say to another person. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when we're, in, in the case of giving too much, it's often that we, we, we have this sense that, that our own kind of Stability is not as valuable as the pleasure that we hope to kind of induce in, in, in someone that, that is close to us. But I really do uh, stick with the sort of common airline instruction around the oxygen mask, which is it's very, very important to put yours on first before you try to put one on someone else. Okay. And, and the giving too much is really that, you know, get, you know, Putting putting a mask on someone else and then and then you pass out and then nobody really gains from it. So I would suggest sort of just Google Kristen Neff uh, or self compassion and you'll come across her, her her website and she's got lots of wonderful practices and and resources to to to, to look into in, in the realm of giving too much. Oh, thank you very much. That, I'm, I, that that helps. That helps Good. a lot because it's yeah. um it's always been. A challenge for me. Yeah, well, <laughs> and, and you're, you're not I love alone. To give and I'd love to help people, and and then I got kind of got the other side of what that can be. And, yeah, and I was like, well, I like you. And people have said to me, well, you've got to stop trying to help. You've got to stop doing this, Claire. And I said, I, 
I can't help it. It's my nature. I love mm-hmm. to do this. It makes me happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, then- well- well, for me, I know, Claire, um, you know, being a, a foster parent of 17 kids and I adopted five kids uh, and very giving, I, I had to start, for me, discern whether uh, if someone was rowing their own boat. I like the oxygen mask idea, but, but I would see, are they rowing their boat and they're expecting me to jump in and row it for them? And if they are, then that was a sign for me not to get in to their boat (laughs) and and help them out. And that's been a really helpful tool for me to see uh, the boundaries on what what level of giving or receiving they're expecting from me. Okay. Yeah, thank you for the question and thank you for calling in. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you very much. All right. Have a great day. Thank you, Claire. So we're gonna uh, we're gonna have a break, and uh, after the break, we we uh, we'll keep talking. Um, we're talking to Emiliana Simon Thomas, and we're talking about awakening your brain through a meaningful life. And we are so grateful to to have you here. So we'll we'll see everyone on the other side. Thank you. on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world and that includes you visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment you deserve to live the life you are meant to live your struggles can become the pathway to gratitude and the joy of living the true voice of your inner you is longing to be heard by you again gain greater tools and awareness the adventure is just beginning Janice Darrow invites you to visit www.JaniceDarrow.com to learn more about the exciting work she's doing as an intuitive empowerment guide, vision board facilitator, workshop leader, and inspirational speaker. Your path begins with a single step. That's JaniceDarrow.com, J-A-N-E-S-E-D-E-R-R-O-U-G-H.com. Do you think about losing weight and living a healthier life? Are you ready to make a change but don't know where to start? then you need to know about The Inner Way, a life-transforming inspirational DVD that will teach you how to change your thinking and change your life. Using the law of attraction, The Inner Way will explain why we become what we think about most and show you how to start attracting the things you truly want in life. The Inner Way is an exercise plan for your mind. Experts like Bob Proctor and Gay Hendricks will guide you through an abundant variety of tools to help you remap your thinking and start focusing on living the life you were meant to live. If weight loss and health always seem to be on your to-do list, you can get started today by visiting TheInnerWay.com. That's www.TheInnerWeigh.com. Watch the trailer, read the reviews, and discover why people are calling The Inner Way a film that everyone should watch. It's time to take that step toward the you that you were meant to be. It's time to experience The Inner Way. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com tuned in to Living the Best You with your host, Janice Darrow. To reach our show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That number again is 1-888-346-9141. 
You may also send an email to JaniceLD at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to living the best you. Hi, my name is Janice, and uh, you're listening to Living the Best You with em- Emiliana Simon-Thomas, and we've been talking about uh, happiness, the brain, and, um, and emotions. And uh, so the question I have for you, Emiliana, is uh, emotions. You know, a lot of people are afraid of emotions, and uh, I spend a lot of time working with people and getting comfortable with emotions. And I've uh, through some of the things I've watched you say or, or talk about, you talk a lot about just really uh, the positive element of emotions and, and really how holding them back and repressing them isn't helpful. So could you speak more about this? Yeah, thank you for that question. Um, when I started graduate school, one of the populations that I had the pleasure of working with are individuals who have suffered damage to a certain part of their brain. Uh, it's called the orbital frontal cortex. Um, it's just above your eyeballs and you know behind your behind your forehead. And and the reason I, I was interested in this population is because when you damage this part of your brain, what happens is you lose the ability to incorporate emotional signals into your decisions. It's like the pathway has gotten cut so that you can't consider that feeling you have in your body, the tingles, the uh, sense of concern into a decision. Uh, and the interesting thing about these patients is that if you measure their IQs, they look very smart. They're capable of solving problems on many fronts. But if you look at how they function in the real world, they're totally disabled. They're uh, inappropriate. They're impulsive. They make really poor decisions uh, and get involved in schemes and scams that most people would elect not to engage in. So, so the story there is that these emotions that maybe we think, you know, according to, you know, old Greek thinking are enemies of reason are actually exquisitely evolved for the purpose of giving us critical information about what to do um, in, in every moment that we're, that we're uh, conscious. So, uh, there's been this sort of growing ethos that, again, culturally, that, that emotions are somehow a disservice to thinking. There's also uh, a scientific bias that, that the good thing to do with emotions is to learn how to regulate them, to, to, to change the narrative that, that, that you have about them. And that, 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 that sort of regulation and reappraisal process really is, is, is a benefit to, to one's health and well-being. But, but what I think is beginning to emerge is that sort of stifling, turning off, sort of shifting or re-sculpting your emotions in, in a way that is heavy-handed is a disservice to your health and well-being. And in fact, experiences like sadness and pain uh, are very important to our happiness. Um, pursuing happiness because you think that, that it, it, it will be amount to smiling all the time, feeling good and happy all the time is, 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 a, is, is an, a, not a good a path to, to, to pursue. It, it, it's bound to fail. Um, mm-hmm. Happiness is, 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 is much more in, um, characterized by a rich and dynamic range or palette of emotional experiences. And, and the onus is on, on, on each individual to relate to the signal that your emotions give you in a, 
in a productive and adaptive way. So mm-hmm. sadness is very important. Understand the irrevocable loss that has elicited that sadness, but don't spend minutes, hours, days sort of dwelling on the sadness itself. We know that when we dwell for long periods of time in a particular thought process that's associated with an emotion, we sort of ramp up that emotion. So again, it sort of boils down to the mindfulness, right? The ability Mm -hmm. to relate to that emotional signal in in the most adaptive and constructive way. Mm -hmm. Well, but what about... um because I work a lot with, with people who might have held back emotions for a very long time, and it's almost like a dam is broken and the water, the emotions just come pouring out. And, um, and, and so what I find, and there's a lot of victim thinking perhaps along with that, and you're talking about not dwelling on it, um, but, but what I've understood cognitive reappraisal is to really see it more from as a beneficial situation and not as... A person's a victim. So I've been looking at as cognitive reappraisal is is changing the story around what the grief is. And so you're saying that's not helpful, or because um, I've I've used a combination of the both of them. You know, when I when I first started to to tell that story, um, I said heavy-handed. Uh, and what I meant by heavy-handed is, is is a little bit of a more aggressive uh, approach to reappraisal. So I, I do think that it's very valuable to be flexible in the way mm-hmm. you appraise a particular experience and to be mindful in the way that you appraise a particular experience. But to forcefully um, sort of shift your way of thinking about an emotional experience, and, and I'm speaking about 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 people who are in the realm of of, of non clinical um, disease. Uh, I, I I would not want to suggest that I have the expertise to to make claims about dealing with with clinical populations, people with with specific diagnosed disorders. But for the for the average healthy ish person, right. Um, being overzealous in the reappraisal can be really problematic. Uh, and I, I, there's, there was a, sort of a backlash against um, positive psychology for this because there was this idea that, 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 that the reappraisal was leading to too much optimism that led to sort of very unrealistic ideas about success and, and potential and led to, you know, presumptuous behaviors on Wall Street, right? Mm-hmm, that everything's mm-hmm. going to work out, everything's going to be fine. We don't have to be careful about anything because we're so optimistic and, you know, we reappraise all of the little signals that say, wait a minute, that's a bad idea, or wait a minute, that's, that's you know, unfair or unjust or um, dangerous, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. so it's, it's just a matter of, of, of the, I guess I would call it light hand, right? Mm-hmm, and, or, or the mm-hmm. mindful uh, ability to Notice what it is that you're feeling. Observe the way you think about those feelings, and uh, sort of I, I, we organically gravitate towards recovery from from strong emotions and positive perception. That that's how you know we have something called rosy retrospection and negativity bias. We're very quick to orient to things that are threatening, but when we when we remember life behind us, we think of it in a more positive way than perhaps it was. And this is a gift to our day-to-day experience to have this tendency. So um, to the extent that 
and, and in every moment we can observe the feeling that we have, uh, observe the thoughts that, that sort of follow that feeling, uh, let the emotion resi- sort of recover in, in the way that it's meant to, and, and sort of proceed forward with thinking that is based on the present moment and not on fears that are behind us or in front of us. Um, that, 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 to me, is the healthiest approach and, and, and the approach that's most uh, conducive of happiness. Mm-hmm. And you've done a lot of work with um, how fear and upset affect the brain. Uh, can, can you speak a little bit about about the results that you found and, and how it impacts the brain and, yeah, absolutely. and the person? So, so when people are, are experiencing fear, they engage uh, a, a, a sort of reactive defensive uh, circuitry in the brain. This includes the amygdala, this includes the midline of the cortex, and again, these are sort of um, self-referential, arousing, alerting systems. Uh, uh, Resources get allocated to visual cortex um, that, uh, you know, gives you the ability to, to see that which is threatening you, and resources get pulled away from things like your prefrontal cortex that allows you to think carefully about a decision that you want to make, right? So, or, or to, to, to hold on to multiple pieces of information that might, make, that might be involved in, in making a decision or solving a problem. So, so spending a lot of time with, in fear and anxiety is, is, makes it more difficult to connect with other people to solve problems in creative and thoughtful ways, um, and uh, and and essentially is, is, is deleterious to your health and well-being because your brain is essentially telling your body, okay, you know, get ready, um, launch the adrenaline, and um, uh, you know, get your cardiovascular into into system into into high high mode, which uh, if if that's something that people do for quite a long time, it makes one vulnerable to cardiovascular disease. Mm-hmm. And you were suggesting earlier about the breath and the vagus nerve uh, and working with the deep breath out, the exhale out, mm-hmm. that would help with the relaxing of the body and the fear, uh, what the, the body's responding to the fear. Is that a suggestion or do you have any other suggestions on if someone were feeling a lot of fear in the moment, what they could do to help shift that into a more mindful uh, calm space. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely think that, you know, all emotions have a, a physiological component, a psychological component, and an expressive component. And what we're talking about here is the physiological component, right? The racing of the heart, mm-hmm. the sweating, the, the tensing up of the muscles. Um, these things are happening in parallel, but our mind, the, the, the psychological component is is looking to the body and looking to the surroundings to sort of make a decision or, or appraise what it is that, that, that a person is feeling. So if there's something that one can do to sort of um, allay the physical sensations, right, to, mm-hmm. to take a deep breath and breathe out slowly, you're, you're sort of ramping down that arousal, that sympathetic arousal, that fight-or-flight response, and you're engaging the rest-and-digest uh, slash tend-and-befriend systems that make it easier to recover from, from an upset. So, so if that's happening physi- physiologically and your mind is observing your body, it's going to go, oh, I see, this isn't such a problem anymore. Oh, I'm not really afraid anymore. Coupled with a, a, an observation of, of real time of what's happening here and now as opposed to 
um, perhaps fear of social rejection or fear that you know, of some kind of past failure or anxiety over a past failure. Um, you, again, you can see that the path uh, of of mindfulness and sort of uh, somatic relaxation uh, is one that's promising with regards to kind of uh, giving people the tools, the specific tools to uh, recover from, from a, a moment of anxiety. Again, I don't mm-hmm. suggest that this is what one would use in the case of extreme or, or, or clinical cases because that, that's not really my training. Right, right. Well, yeah. So, um, well, thank you so much. And um, here's Emiliano Simon Thomas with the Greater Good Science Center. And could you give us that email address uh, or not email address, but the website for yeah, anyone interested. Yeah, it's, it's greater good, all one word, G-R-E-A-T-E-R-G-O-O-D dot Berkeley, B-E-R-K-E-L-E-Y dot E-D-U, greatergood.berkeley.edu. And, yeah, we'd love and as many people as are listening to take a look and share it with your friends and uh, use the resources that we try to make available. Well, thank you so much for all you're doing. We appreciate you on the show. Yeah, and uh, so for next week, uh, I'm going to talk about next week's guest is Howard Falco, and he's a self-empowerment expert, spiritual teacher, speaker specializing in self-awareness and the power of mind as it relates to experience of life. And his latest book, um, his I Am, The Power of Discovering Who You Really Are. And uh, so that will be next week. And we thank you, Emiliana Simon Thomas, with the, the science director of the Greater Good Science Center. Thank you, Emiliana. Thank we you appreciate it. So it's been a you, real pleasure. Uh, have a great day. All right, thank you. You too. Bye. Bye. We appreciate you joining us for this week's edition of Living the Best You with Janice Darrow. Please tune in again next Wednesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, get ready to have the best time of your life.